Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome everybody to another episode of IGN Unfiltered. It is our monthly interview series where I have the good fortune to sit down with the best, brightest, most fascinating minds in the games industry. And today, I am extremely pleased to be joined uh, by Craig Duncan, the studio head at Rare, who has the the, uh, excitement level through the roof right now of shipping a new, uh, the first major new game from Rare in, in a little while here. Yeah. Little yeah. game called Sea of Thieves. Little little game called Sea of Thieves. And this is where I like I always struggle. Do I do like the reserve British guy going like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool, we like it, or do I uh, do I go full like, hey, I'm pumped and this thing's awesome and uh, that's my Redmond speak when I go right. to Redmond and, and build excitement <laughs> there. But um, yeah, I mean like really like we're close now. Um, we've getting a lot of reaction. We're getting a lot of love. Uh, I get like one part of my job is obviously doing this sort of stuff and just speaking to people about Rare and, and Sea of Thieves and why why we love what we do. Yeah. Um, and then the other part is just getting like listening to what people like listening to you guys unlock, tell your stories, reading you know people write about Sea of Thieves, seeing comments on Twitter where people say they've made friends or they've had these awesome shit like. That's the stuff. We're just in that moment, so it's it's awesome. Soaking it in. Well, we're going to talk about Rare. We're going to talk okay. about the game, but we're also going to talk about you. I mean, okay. and your your journey because you are the studio head of Rare. That's that's a big deal. You joined Rare in 2011. I did. Uh, the Stamper Brothers, who had, of course founded the studio, had left several years before that. Mm-hmm. So, what were your expectations heading into that job? Yeah. When you, when you got it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, we can we can start there and then and kind of work back. And I hate talking about myself, by the way. So this is like you've come on the wrong show. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've just kind of put that. And and I guess for me, like, and I've always been this kind of person that looks forward. Like I'm always like, um, whether it's like I look at opportunities or I'm always trying to just assess the the landscape and like yeah. what do I want to do next? What does the studio I'm responsible for want to do next? And so even like the, the looking back thing, it, it was funny. I was kind of nervous coming onto the show, and I, I did tons of press, and I never get nervous about. Oh, you anything. know I don't bite. Correct? No, Come I, on. <laughs> but it's more this like, like I, I can't, like I can't remember. I only because I came on this show, I started thinking about like, oh, how did yeah. I feel when I first took the rare job yeah. on? And because I knew that that would be what you'd ask. So, I, um, I'd been making games for. I don't know eight nine years before that. Before that, I'd run a couple of tech companies. Yeah, we'll talk about those. And um, I, kind of funny funny story. It was I I was helping Sumo Digital out at the time. I was a development director. I ran development for mm-hmm. them. Uh, that was post Midway Games, which kind of Midway Games went up in this big ball of bankruptcy. I ran. We'll talk about UK. that. Too. Yeah, that that <laughs> was that was a fun learning time. Yeah, so, Sumo was best known for probably I would say best known for Sega and Sonic All Stars, which racing. was one of my projects. Yeah, which was an um, excellent, excellent game. Yeah, and, and had a lot of fun there. And I knew those guys, and they were going through a growth phase. So post Midway, they were like, "Hey, Craig, we'd love to have you as part of our leadership team and just sort of help us grow." And and for me, that was what I needed. I needed to work with some people on some games and just like get the midway thing in, in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, I always knew Sumo was just going to be this transitional thing and, and I talked to people about doing a startup and then uh, I get an email out of the blue 
from, and I don't think I've ever told this story, so this might be, be interesting. Uh, I get an email out of the blue from Matt Booty, who uh, now is head of First Party Studios, yes. was CEO at Midway Games, was actually my boss at Midway Games uh, as so well. It's who you know, isn't it? And, uh, and he just said, like, hey, you know, in a conversation uh, with Phil and some others, we're talking about UK gaming leadership. Don't know like, where you're at now, but if you want, I can intro you to Phil. And, uh, and see Phil Spencer if, for the kids at home. Yeah, and, and, and you're on uh, a first name basis, <laughs> and and see uh, see if like if there's something like if 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 it's something that could fit for you and something that could fit for us. So it was like no more than that. Like right. hey, if you're if you're thinking like have a have a think about Microsoft, and it it was just that that exact time where I was kind of going okay, like you know we'd chip Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing, we'd done a couple of other things. I'd set up the next thing, which was Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing Transform longest game name ever <laughs> uh, great game the name was a bit long and um, so timing wise it was kind of right they were doing um, we were doing Nike Fit for Microsoft and a couple of other things Little Big Planet I think they see what we were doing at the time as well um, so so you you start these conversations you know Phil and I exchanged a couple of emails uh, he said hey there's a guy called Will Mazel who's a GM he's over in the UK why don't you go meet him so you just go through this kind of courting process sure, yeah. of like hey come meet some of our Senior guys, see if you connect, see if we connect culturally, and rare what like it wasn't rare at this point. I guess that's the the long way of saying it. It was just like, hey, do you fancy working for Xbox in some kind of role? Okay. Um, and uh, so I met with Will. I met with a guy called Scott Henson, who were, they just kind of implanted in from Redmond to help Rare and assess the studio, and yeah. and um, so he and I met and, and connected and. I, I kind of go through this thought process, okay, what do I think, like, where do I think Xbox is at? Where do I think Microsoft's at? What do I think they need? What do I want to do? Because you've got to make sure all those things align. Because sure. uh, for me, what's important is, hey, do I believe in the mission? Do I, can I work with people that inspire me and give me energy and do cool stuff? And, like, how can I create a role around that? And that's what I had at Sumo. That's what I had at Midway. That's what I wanted in my, my next role. And then some point in the conversation, I can't remember where, it was kind of like, hey, like, what do you think about coming in to lead Rare? And that's when I had that moment where it's like, like, oh, like this is Rare. Like, this is, like, and I grew up playing Rare yeah. games. And, and again, I'd been, I've been lucky in my career where, you know, I started working at Codemasters. I remember playing Codemasters games as a kid. Midway games, obviously, like, we, we all Everybody. made Midway yeah. arcade games and, and, and their console games. And, and got to work with other IP like Sega and stuff. So, so I'd already done the. I'd worked with brands that I'd grown up with. It that meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um, but Rare was, I think, from a career point of view as well. It was just like, okay, I've done publishing. I've done internal studios in a th- publisher. I've done independent development, sumo or independent mm-hmm. developer. I've never ran a first party studio. So just for a like, oh, this is new. Which appealed to me. Sure, just new challenge. New, new challenge. And then it was like, okay, so I know I can run a studio and run a team. Can I run a first party studio? And then it's like, and, and where are Rare at? So I started doing my research. I actually, uh, I don't think I've told anyone else this either. I actually um, started a new game attack because I went and replayed all of the Rare 360 games and went and replayed um, Banjo and Perfect Dark remasters we'd done on Xbox Live. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and I didn't want anyone in the industry because most of the people on my friends list <laughs> are in the industry, and we didn't have like uh, be offline 
back right. then. Yeah. So, so I literally start a brand new gamer tag <laughs> and uh, and start playing through all the rare back catalog. An, an alt gamer tag to stay incognito. Because I didn't want anyone to know that, like, <laughs> hey, why is Craig all of a sudden playing all these rare games again? Uh, Viva Pinata and, and everything with it. So, um, so I go do that, and then I start sort of forming my own picture. Okay, and and you know, one thing leads to another. Uh, I go in, I meet all the leadership team, have a really late night at Rare. Uh, they all, again, incognito because I'm still working in the industry. I'm still working for Sumo at the time. Uh, hey, come in, meet some of the leadership team. It's like 9 o'clock at night in Twi- like Twycross site. It's incredible, but walking around at night, it's just this spooky kind of it's kind of in the place. middle of nowhere. Middle it? of nowhere, yeah. yeah. You go in past all the cameras, and, and I'm meeting up with the leadership team, and they're telling me what they think the opportunities and problems. And... Super interesting time for Rare. It just... That was the Connect, connect period. Connect had just launched. Yeah, so, 2010, and you joined in 2011. Yeah, so I so through the latter part of 2010 was when I was having okay. all my conversations. So it was like, Connect's going to launch. We've made this game called Connect Sports, which isn't a pack-in, but we think it's going to be pretty successful. Yeah. Um, like, And then it was kind of blank from that point onwards. And it's like, hey, we want someone to come in and help shape what that looks like. Uh, we think like We think this Connect going to be a big deal we think connect sports going to be a big deal um like and here's the studio here's the team here's everything you've got but the part of me that professionally was challenged like hey i haven't done this before this is great and then there's the other part of me inside which is like hey when i i I will run rare like i will be the rare studio head and it's still even if i'm out at an industry event now and it's like hey i'm craig i'm the studio head of rare like still there's this little thing in my inside me that's just like that's cool i have that i literally have (laughs) the coolest job so what was your first day like at rare then after after all this has gone on and and you know you've got this like childhood fantasy bucket list career bucket list thing checked off yeah i mean anyone that knows me like i'm pretty i'm i say things as i feel them i'm a pretty pretty normal guy i like think myself as a pretty normal guy um so I go in, and, and my daughter kind of mocks me for this all the time. She's like, Dad, you've only got one look. It's this kind of slightly stern, like <laughs> slightly intimidating. And, and and I so I go into Rare, and I kind of meet people. I knew a few people. Actually, uh, there's a chap called uh, Travis Ryan. He's got his own indie studio now, who was my lead designer at Sumo on mm. Sonic All-Stars Racing, who'd actually left to go to Rare. I guess the UK um, game yeah. development community isn't necessarily the biggest place. You probably see some That's it. Places. So there was a couple of people. Rare actually didn't... Um, didn't really recruit senior people from ex like I think I was the first senior leader Rare had ever brought in externally. Mm. So they'd had you know a lot of people come in as graduates, people who had been promoted up. So yeah. you had a lot of long-term Rare people in very senior. Uh, pretty I think pretty much all the leadership team were all 15, 16 year yeah. Rare veterans, 20 year Rare veterans. So and I'd met all them before. So the first day I kind of. I just went in, went into listening mode. We had an all hands, uh, which is what I think all teams yeah, use. Yeah, everybody like does a, that. Yeah, to bring everyone together. Um, Scott Henson, what I didn't know at this time, had presented to the studio about a week or two before. Might get the date quite wrong there. Um, but basically, once I'd agreed to come in, but before I joined, in saying, hey, we're going to bring a new um, studio director in, uh, he's an experienced guy, but until he comes in, we don't really want to sort of announce it, we'll announce it all when it happens. And he drew this org chart, here's how this person's going to fit in. He used Batman as the org chart. So the expectation coming into me first day was like, hey, like Batman's joining the studio. Because uh, he just used, and because we talked about comics and other stuff, like he just used this Batman 
Monica. So, d- so does that mean when uh, someone would question a decision, say, why did you do that? You could just say, because I'm Batman. Well, I, I, <laughs> I wish I had of. Like if, but, um, so there was this weird, like, hey, there's a new boss coming in, but we're not going to talk about who he is. So I'm sitting in this all hands. And it's like, hey, like Craig, do you want to say a few words? And, and they covered, like, hey, Connect Sports looks like it's come out of the gates well. We've got a couple of months sales. Here's what, here's what it's doing. And, and I yeah, mumbled something probably incoherently about, hey, I'm looking forward to working with you all. And like, for me, it's about execution. And part of my job here is to help you guys do cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm in listening mode. I'm in learning mode. Like, so it was, it was all hands. It was meet people. And, and I think whenever you go into any new job, I think that's, that's your role, really. It's like, go figure out who's who. Like, what have, what have I got? Who are the people that are coming to me with issues that I can help solve? Like, what are the frustrations? Um, I actually, like, I, I think I said to you when we, when we met earlier, like, I, I think now, this week, today, like, is my seventh year anniversary. I don't think I've awesome. thought back to day one until you literally asked that <laughs> question. Um, and and it's, it's that, you know, it's really like, I think when you go in new, I, I've liked being the new guy walking into a company because you can just go into it just completely objective. Yeah. Like, no agenda, no, yep. like, I don't know anyone, tell me what's going on, let me see if I can help, let me see if I can work out. And I think when you're, even now, I'm seven years in red, there's probably stuff I'm blind to that a fresh perspective coming in and looking at stuff would help me out. Like, so you have, uh, you have school-aged kids. Yes. Do, do they like bragging about dad's job? Because, or, or is it... Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of weird. And I, I use the point, like, I, I, I work hard. Like, and I work hard, and I've always worked hard. Um, probably my upbringing, like my parents always worked. It just, like, but I work hard because I feel... Um, I feel responsible and accountable. Like I feel responsible and accountable for the 180 people. You should, rare, yeah, of course, for that's the good. people that play our games. Like, and that—that's what kind of fuels me. So most of my conversation with my kids is like, "Hey, dad works hard," but you know, when we go on holiday to Disney or you know, like we can get a nice car or whatever, it's like, "Hey," and it's trying to just instill in them, like, "Hey, like if you want to get on, you work hard." Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, I think, that's more more important than the what I do. Like, my son's a massive gamer. My daughter games uh, not quite as much. I think she's, like, she'll be more interested in this sort of stuff. Like, oh, Dad, you were in an interview on YouTube. Yeah. Like, that means you're famous. <laughs> well, I'm not really famous. I just run <laughs> run a studio, like, in our industry. Right. Like, and, um, and Patrick, like, if one of the rare games hits his radar, he's interested. If not, he's going to carry on playing Fortnite and Minecraft and so other stuff. So are, that he are either right. of them... Uh, into Sea of Thieves right now? Are they, they, are they liking the games? You they, play as a family? Uh, we've played as a family. We did a rare recruitment event, and uh, I actually, because I'm horribly disorganized, didn't mismanage the calendar. My wife was going out with a friend, uh, so I took the kids to, we, we had a recruitment event in one of the studios. Uh, I can't remember which one had closed down, and we said, hey, we'll open up a bar nearby. I, we've got some job postings. And... Um, so I took the kids because I was I was on babysitting duty, yeah. hadn't hadn't yeah, coordinated yeah. the calendar. Uh, so I took the kids along, and my kids literally spent the whole time there, almost in an E three type environment, playing the game with people from this studio, <laughs> and and like that was that was probably like them say kind of being mini me's, but 
They're like, oh, like, why is there a 14-year-old and a 13-year-old here playing Sea of Thieves? And it's like, oh, it's like, that's my dad over there. He's talking to that guy. Like, he, he runs the studio. But they're like, I'll show you how to play the game. And they were, they were almost awesome. doing the E3, like, oh, like, there's a map, and here's how you go get treasure, yeah. and just, just engage it. And I think they love the creativity of it. So, oh, I love uh, that. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, now, you didn't start your career in games, if nope. I got this right. You got into the industry back in 2003 with Codemasters. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your previous life and, and how you end up jumping into the games industry. Yeah, I um, the short version of that story, because obviously I guess 23 would have made, or 2003 would have made me 26, 25, 26. Um, so, you know, fairly normal school, grew up in a working class town called Corby. I um, did paper rounds, earned money, bought video games, did all that stuff that kids do. Um, actually didn't know what I wanted to do, had no idea. Went through school, was kind of okay. I'm a bit like my son, which is he kind of does the work he needs to do to get by. My daughter absolutely pushes herself and works super hard. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Kind of went on to do A-levels afterwards because um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. That's, that's kind of the thing after high school mm-hmm. uh, in the UK. And um, did that for a year and was like, I don't really want to do this. I don't want to study anymore. So uh, I took a job, took a job in an engineering um, company that made uh, aerospace um, kind of engine components out of ceramic. So Hmm. completely random. Um, Fairly manual. You're using molten ceramic into these massive machines, um, lifting kind of 40 kilo bins full of multi ceramic. I was... In my late teens, I guess I was 18, 19 at the time, all I was really interested in was going to see bands, going to the gym. <laughs> yeah. So actually having a job that I could lift big bits of ceramic and metal, I was like way fitter than I am now and was kind of fun. And But I think over that kind of couple of years, I just I got the bug for like just working with people. Like I've always been a people person yeah. and, and you... And again, some of this maybe comes to my mum and, and the upbringing. Like, she'd come home from work and she, she'd worked in loads of different places and she'd talk about how the management don't know what they're doing and people are idiots and, like, all the answers are actually on the shop floor and, <laughs> and, and just all this stuff you hear a million people say. And um, I think when I got into the world of work, I was like, A, I liked earning a living. I felt like it was a good, good thing, you know, hard day's work for a hard sure. day's pay. Yeah. And, um, and once I started talking to people, I kind of... I just hit this light bulb moment where it's like, oh, okay, like so these guys run production and then there's an engineering team and the engineering team set the process for the production team and w- whatever wasn't unlocking for me at school unlocked for me the In moment the I, hit, I hit the world of work. And yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So, and I start talking to the engineers about how they do setups and they had some problem things that were, again, like low yield thing, things that were breaking. So like I'd go speak to different people. And I, and again, back to that objectivity point, I just use the objectivity of going like, okay, if I can go ask some people about what they think it is uh, and actually help them solve some stuff. And at the end, so I was working there as a summer job. I was due to go back to school. And at the end of it, they said, hey, you, you seem like a bright lad. It's funny now, I'm 41, but <laughs> uh, you seem like a bright lad. Why don't you like, continue on and like we can probably like if you're interested maybe and it wasn't really called an apprenticeship but like we can get you working with the engineers you can kind of like skill up a little bit on some of the tech side and and i was just enjoying it like i was enjoying the the work-life balance i was enjoying having money most of my friends 
kind of finished school, went on to university. Right. So I was just in this sort of interesting, like, okay, let's see. My, my parents didn't really sort of put pressure on me to do one thing or another. They are just like, hey, as long as you're happy, go, go do it. So, uh, so I worked the shop floor. I then moved into an engineering role. I then moved into a process role. I then kind of, once I felt I knew everything about that company, took a process job at another company that was literally five minutes down the road, <laughs> like went in as a new guy, learned stuff, like, and, and just enjoyed that process of like people fixing issues, got involved in a thing called Kaizen, which is like continuous improvement driven by Toyota. Like, oh, and, and it, for whatever reason, that just stimulated kind of me and the kind of person, like, oh, I, if I can go in and make a company better or make right. a team better, um, and then just, just kind of took every opportunity that got thrown my way, um, ended up in a, managing a team, ended up managing a larger team, took a job in Birmingham, um, it's about an hour away from me, I said it's a short version, it sounds very long, <laughs> told you we shouldn't do this, but um, took a job in Birmingham um, that... I probably couldn't afford to take. I took a big loan out to get a car to drive the 60 miles away it was, but it was a management role and it was in a software company. So I'd always been fairly techy. I'd built my own computers. I'd never, yeah. like I've heard some of the other un- unfilters you've done, like I wasn't a kid programmer or anything. Like I love games. I used to kind of mod, but just play around. Um, but, you know, working in a software company, and I thought, I can I take all my process and people skills, do the leadership stuff? Uh, I actually went and did a software engineering uh, MSc course, so part of a degree, just to learn software engineering, system design, programming, like at, at a very high level. I'd done a bit of art at school. Like, so all of these, you know, art, science, tech, leadership, all of these things were starting to form. Yeah, you're just soaking up all these different bits that, of everything. That, that's it, in, in a way that was just very... You know, I, I was continuing throwing myself into situations where I had to learn and skill up really, really quickly. Um, so how does Codemasters find you? Or how do you find Codemasters and, and make the jump to the game side? Yeah, so I was running um, engineering projects. Uh, I had a friend of mine that worked as a games journalist. And, I, I, and I'm obviously not as bright as I think I am. I just I hadn't even made the link. I hadn't even made the link. Like, I consumed games, I played games, I grew up a gamer. Gaming was still a, um, just a D, so I'm working my ass off, doing all this work for all these different companies. Gaming was my chill. Yeah. Like, that was just the thing I did at the weekend with my friends, like, and, and just, it was just the, the and I, it was a hobby. I, I hadn't even made the link that people made games at that point. <laughs> And um, just around 2003, think about it, so um, original Xbox, PlayStation 2's kind of, you know, accelerating pretty quick. Oh, yeah. And games companies' teams were growing. So you were in this point where um, teams had gone from 12, 20 people to 30, 40, 50 people. Software projects were becoming multi-million pound software projects. And... All of the software engineering projects I'd ran before that, you know, we'd done stuff for Rail and Aerospace and MOD, and we're all multi-million-pound software projects with hundreds of people and and tech involved. So, uh, I, I was just chatting to my friend. And he just said, "Hey, everything I read and write about in games is the game, these game projects are getting out of control. They're massive." Like, and all the people that make games, they grew up coding in their bedrooms, and they don't know how to run 
hundred person companies the fifty people companies true and and it just it again just sparked something with me huh. and I looked and I think it was in edge and I've seen a mat uh, Advert and it had the little Codemasters logo, yeah, and it was back, the, right? the the pink one uh, with a little little M on it, and it said uh, a development manager. And I was like, okay, so I'm an operations manager for a software company. Uh, I know loads about games. I'll take the game Pepsi challenge with anyone. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll stake that. And um, so I applied, and and I said, hey, I've not made games, but here's what here's my resume. Here's what I do. Um, would love to be considered to be a development manager at Codemasters. Um, and again, I probably had that giddy moment of like, oh, this is Codemasters. Yeah, this is, I grew up playing playing their games. And um, actually when my daughter was born the year before, most of my daughter, there's a game called LMA Manager that Codemasters made. It was a football manager game. Most of the time when, when your kids wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning, you've got to give them a bottle and rock them back to sleep. I had one hand on my... PS2 controller <laughs> playing LMA Manager because it's a game you could play. It was a management simulator. Yeah, a game you could play slow, slow pace. Yeah, whilst whilst having a daughter <laughs> and, a, and a bottle in in your arm. So um, so I I played a lot of Codemaster stuff. I knew didn't realize they were an hour down the road. Had no idea. Hmm. Um, and they invited me in for an interview, which uh, was interesting. And um, were, they were super honest with me, which is like, hey, we. Absolutely respect all of your professional capability. You've never made a game before. And we tend to have problems where if we hire people that haven't made games before. So we're not sure if we should bring you on board because even though you've got this professional experience, uh, you don't know anything about making games. So, um, and, and literally on the fly in that conversation, I was like, okay, like I, I'll, I'll take the game Pepsi Challenge, like with, with like any, like, I can talk about games, I know what games are, I, I love games, and, and I think I can combine the two. And if you look at anything I've done, like when I haven't known things, I've gone in and I've bridged the gap and I've learned. And, um, and I, I basically convinced them to give me a job. Nice. And, um, and, they, uh, I, and I kind of went away and two days later, I let come through the door. And it was like, hey, we'd like to offer you a job as a development manager at Codemasters. And I'm like, okay, better start figuring. So... Straight into Gama Sutra, reading postmortems, like, and, and just trying to, again, just skill up. Um, so you must like that uh, Miyamoto quote from fairly recently, where he he said uh, something to the effect I'm paraphrasing of, he likes to hire game designers who don't have a background in video games because they can bring that sort of yeah. objective attitude or, I, or perspective to it that's not necessarily ingrained in the way things already are. I think that's true and I would never call myself a game designer like and, and my team. No, well, but my, just the yeah. analogy, right? Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're always learning. I think you've got to come into anything with an attitude to learn new. I actually know why Codemasters did hire me because they had some really tricky projects and they had some really tricky relationships that I'd shown through my interview and my track record that I was I was a good relationships and people person. Uh, the first project I took on at Codemasters was actually Bohemia Interactive in uh, Prague, which was responsible for Operation Flashpoint. I remember that. Yeah, yeah so, so uh, more of a simulation, well, a, a more realistic. Yeah, the kind of uh, Ghost Recon-ish pre- prequel to Armor and, and yeah. where that franchise went. So, um, so I kind of met with them and, and got involved with a lot of their external development. And I think I've heard you guys talk about it a turn like publishing and development relationships is all really hard 
there's always perceptions about who's helping who, and, and that was kind of my job at Codemasters, like be a development manager, work with external developers, work out how to get games shipped, and, um, and you know, again, I kind of walked into that, and okay, let's learn this, let's bring my, bring my objectivity to it. What was the most surprising thing in your, in your early uh, games baptism, let's call it, that, that maybe you just weren't expecting, either for good or for bad? Uh, so for good was, hey, people are really passionate about what they do. So if I, if I present a context of when I ran software engineering at uh, Top Mode Systems, which is the engineering company, you go, hey, Brian, you're going to go make an um, adaptive cruise control system for a car. Here's your, like, cause I know you're a big car guy with Tesla. Yeah. Here's your spec. Like, here's your telephone directory spec. <laughs> like, you guys are going to go build that. And no matter how much of a car guy you are, like, that's hard to get excited about. You can get excited about the technical challenge of it, but it's not. Like, right, you're being, you, you don't wake up every morning going, hey, like, I wonder what page 100 on that spec says today. <laughs> like, you, you just don't. Um, whereas you go into games and people genuinely, like, hey, you get to make games. Like, and I remember walking in there and they're all playing, they were, I think they were shipping IGI 2 at the time, and they were all playing it at lunch and giving feedback and, uh, like, chatting to the QA guys that, again, just felt like, you know, they, they had awesome jobs because they were helping these games get finished and polished and... Um, so that was the good. The bad was probably egos. So I walk in there and I go, hey, like I'm Craig, and, and they go, hey, you know nothing about making games. And I go, okay. And then the, uh, the first designer I work with, and they're going, yeah, yeah, you can make any decisions around the management or the project stuff, uh, but don't, like, don't, hey, the, here's your boundary. Like, don't go getting in on the creative stuff. Yeah. I'm like, That's, this isn't going to work that way. <laughs> so, and, and you've just got it, like any relationship, you've just got to feel it through. And, and they didn't know me. And, and you know, it took me a little while to kind of just put my stamp and my way of doing things on, on things. But. So you found your way uh, to the aforementioned Midway. Yes. Their Newcastle studio, uh, which shipped Wheelman. Yes. Which but, was uh, a Vin Diesel joint. <laughs> The Vin uh, when, Diesel fronted action yeah, Vin, has been, yeah. Vin was uh, is a big gamer and has, is, has yeah. been involved in game development in the past. Uh, he has a had a studio called Tygon. Yep. Uh, with Ian Stevens. So yep. I had always heard that that Vin Diesel was very enthusiastic gamer and a, and a pretty cool guy from from back uh, working at Tygon or with Tygon yep. with Starbreeze on yep. the Chronicles of Riddick. What was your experience with him? If, if, yeah, I, I I think I mean uh, again with. Wheelman, um, and yeah, like the transition to Co-Masters to Midway was kind of interesting. And again, like Midway approached me. They um, they had a studio. They were shipping Wheelman. It was kind of, I think it was the first open world game on Unreal Engine three. Um, so Always again, a technical challenge. Yeah, just just into like that. just into this kind of like hey, like no, no one ever offers you a job or invites you to do something when everything's rosy and awesome <laughs> and everything's going great. Um, and I think like every single job I'd done up to that point, there's, al- there's always, even if it's like, hey, we want to grow and we want to bring good people into the company, there's always like, hey, we've got a problem we don't know about that we need to go solve. And, uh, and for Wheelman, it was like, hey, like, you know, the studio, they just felt needed a bit more leadership, they had some tech issues, like the, there was just, like, the, the game was, like, it was just, and all games are hard to make, as you've said many, oh, many yeah. times. Yeah. Like, they, they just had a ton of stuff they were trying to deal with, and some of that was just partnerships with Tygon and Vin and what, like, expectations, and some of that was just Midway and what they had to do and the studio and talent and all that stuff. So, 
Um, you kind of join, figure stuff out. Uh, we actually, like, we got a ton of support. Like, most of the, like, the heavy lifting, the legwork, was done at Midway Newcastle. Um, but there'd be reviews with Vin and, and, uh, and Ian, who, who was this kind of Tygon Studios rep. Uh, and they review assets. So I don't know if you remember the box shot that had the exploding car and Vin Diesel on it. Um, you know, like how he looked, how much yeah. of his face was in shadow, how <laughs> you know how how he was portrayed. Uh, again, was very important to him. Uh, on the gameplay feedback stuff, it wasn't so much. Like we were kind of left to get on with that, uh, which was good. And yeah. I still I still love the car combat mechanics we put into Wheelman. Like that game was just. So I, I remember, I actually remember that first day much better because they took me in and they said, hey, like, do, you, do you want to play the game, see what we've got? And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, great, of course <laughs> I do. And, uh, and they sat me in front of it and I played this level and it was awesome. You kind of went under this freeway and they, like, they had, it was like car melee combat, so you'd flick the right yep. stick and left stick and then you could spin round and it would do slow-mo, almost like Max Payne style, and you could shoot the guy's windscreen that was behind, like awesome stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And, and they goes, yeah, and this is one level, and there'll be in like another 30 levels, and we've recreated all of Barcelona, but it's just a bit of it. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, how much? How far are you on the, all the other stuff? And they were like, yeah, that's it. We've shown that A3. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, great. And and that was just like, I, I remember that vividly, because then it's like, okay, like how do we go scale this yeah, thing? Yeah, now and, you know why you're there. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's great. And awesome team, great time, loved it. Like, actually, uh, Sean Himmerich, who was our... EP at the time, uh, he did most of the VIN liaison, so I was due to meet him, and I think his sister was the management uh, in the management company he was in. Uh, Sean did most of the liaison with them, uh, so for me, like I like I said, I met his sister, I met Ian, I didn't actually go to any of the VIN meetings, yeah. um, just because there was already an existing relationship, and I'm not, like... I like Fast and the Furious. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't chomping at the bit yeah. to go and uh, and do that because it well, was already working. Yeah, and then uh, of course Midway uh, um, met yeah. its maker in time. Uh, so we're moving towards Rare now, and I'm curious before we talk sort of Rare specifically. And obviously, we're you're not here for your health. We're going to get to see a thieves. We'll <laughs> yeah. talk plenty of that. But what's you know, I think if a gamer that's listening to this or watching this, I know myself too. Even just covering the industry, I. I I get this very cool, grandiose picture of what it must be like to to run a studio. So, what's the one thing about being a studio head that that just nobody in the gaming community knows or or would surprise them? Damn you and your hard questions. <laughs> That's my um, job. That's what they pay me for here. I I think I'm not sure there's a one size fits all studio head. I think First also, thing that comes to your yeah. mind. Um, <laughs> Context switching is really hard. Like, and it's something I've got, and this sounds boastful, like I, I've got really good at context switching. So I can have a conversation with Phil about gaming and strategy. Yeah. And I can be talking to a programmer on the team about why something's hard to implement that we feel really passionate about, through to the test guys around what bugs we should be triaging, through to our services engineering team about scaling beta to our audience team about you know who we're going to invite in to our press uh, and PR team about review stuff like it, yeah. it's all over the map and it's all over the map down to individual problems and my my job is to kind of help make everyone 
do awesome work. Like so wearing, wearing basically all the hats and, and quickly rotating them I'm, I'm on rota- and off at any given time. A I, I, hundred times a day. Yeah. And just being able to just do that and not, and not be, and, and this is what I was at the start when I was still learning this stuff at Codemasters. Like when you're having one conversation about strategy and then someone comes in with a very tactical, like should we cut this, wave this, double down on it, spend more money, specific tactical thing, and you don't just go, like, duh, because you've spent the last three hours discussing something that's completely different. Like, you've just got to just gotta switch switch your brain. And now what I do, if you walk into my office at Rare, there's literally whiteboards all the way around the, the wall, and I've got some strat stuff ahead of me on the whiteboard. I've got a calendar to the one to the side of me. I've got, don't forget to reach out to Ryan about doing podcast unlocked yeah. and a load of like stuff on the board behind me and and that just that's just my way of kind of going hey here's all the here's the range of what the job is yeah so uh, we've if you're watching on video we've got uh, some of some of rare's classics on the monitors behind you I tried to sort of skew it a little more towards the Craig Duncan era uh, <laughs> when I could but what what are your favorite rare games from before you got there? Yeah, so I had a couple of touch points with rare. So when I um, my second job at Codemasters was I always get these two wrong. No, I think my third job at Codemasters was head of development services. So I had first party relationships, which was dealing with Microsoft and Sony mm-hmm. and submissions um, and. The core tech team and the QA team, and I worked with all the studio heads. I actually learned more about being a studio head in that process than, hmm. um, you know, I worked with Gavin Rayburn, who's now at Playground Games. He ran the grid team, so like when his product needed submission and QA and all that stuff. But what struck me, so that's like 2006, I'm going to get my dates wrong, but um, I go into the QA department one day and there's literally a like, wealth of monitors that are the most technicolored, bright, amazing things I've ever seen. And, you know, the team either, before that, would either, you know, test whatever games they're testing or they'd, you know, be playing whatever else they're playing at the time. And literally, I walk in and it it was like someone had poured, like, rainbows into my eyes. And I'm like, (laughs) what, like, what's going on? And they went, oh, they're all playing Viva Piñata. And I'm like, and I, I knew, like, Viva Piñata, I was like, oh, it's a rare game, it's just come out. And it's on. It's on 360. Yeah. And I'm just. I, I. I'm literally like. And literally, like QA department of like 50 people, and like nearly all of them are playing Viva Pinata. And I'm just like, okay, what? Like, what is this thing? And I stand over um, one of their shoulders, and I'm watching them play. And they're just like, oh, like this. It's awesome. And it's got yeah, all this. Garden. It's got all this deep thing. And it. And it's just. And it just struck me so vividly as like, okay, there's this game that just on the surface, just seems crazy and delightful but and you go into any test department of any like you know they, those guys are like core early adopter super gamers like you know if you if you want to go get in the games industry and be a you know in test or design or any of those professions like you kind of you want you want to be a big gamer and they're all yeah, playing it so uh, so I kind of go take it home and, and again hooks hooks me immediately like so Viva Pinata like I have fond memories growing up of Killer Instinct and Battletoads and but I think Viva Pinata at that moment, because literally all these developers were playing it. Like, I don't know how many, or I do know how many Viva Pinata sales there were, but I imagine a lot of them were people in the industry. <laughs> and for people in the industry to play a game and look sideways at it, 
and you can talk about was it a mismatch audience for where the 360 was and its life cycle and all that no, stuff. It was just an underappreciated game, but <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> like, I, like it was just a game that made everyone stand up and say, I, I yeah. put hours and hours and hours into the opinion. Can, can we retroactively go back and put that <laughs> on the box? It's like pouring rainbows into your eyes. It says, says our boss now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about that, games were quite. Brown. Yeah, we were in a, we were in a, a, a we were, Unreal Engine powered, grit fueled, yeah, gray, they were gray grit, and brown, gritty period. and brown. Yeah. And, and Viva Pinata was just like, and and it yeah, it, ju- it just struck me. So I think that, and I, I mean, the, the thing is, we're rare, and we know this when we did rare replay. Like, there's just there's so many, like there's so many moments that, that touch you at different points in your your life. And I know, like you know, Connect Sports wasn't everyone's favorite game. The amount of times I've been at shows. And I've had people come up and say, hey, my kids love Connect Sports. And now those kids are probably at Sea of Thieves age. Yeah. And like, <laughs> so I, I think it just, it's a generational thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, that, did, have, do you, have you ever spoken to the Stamper brothers at any point? Do you ever get in touch with them either for advice or just to sort of catch uh, up? Or, or are they kind of doing their own thing and you're doing theirs? Yeah, they're doing their own thing. I had a chat um, to... Uh, I think it was Tim at one of the develop conferences. So they, um, uh, I think they were getting recognised for a lifetime achievement award, which was absolutely you know well deserved. And they like you know they they built rare, they grew the company. Um, Greg Males, who's our creative director, still I mean Long obviously time. he he worked with them uh, a ton, and he still keeps in contact with them. And actually, one of the things we did. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question directly, no, I've never popped around for tea to talk to them about running Rare now, because uh, that would be a bit weird, and I'm sure like they have their own stuff they're doing. And um, But when we did Rare Replay, one of the conversations I actually had with Greg is like, hey, it'd be awesome, not that we need their permission or anything, but it'd be awesome to show them Rare Replay. Like the blessing, right? G- given that like ultimately all of it was theirs. And, yeah. um so, like, Greg and I sort of passed an email back and forward with, with Tim and Chris, and Greg went around the house. And, and again, it was you know, kind of similar to the Vin Diesel. I didn't think I needed to go do it myself. Uh, but Greg went around, showed them Rare Replay, came back. Oh, yeah, they loved it. I loved all the videos and the treatment and the you know, gold frames in the UI. And so, have they, have they, uh, Do they have Sea of Thieves? Beta access, have they played, you know? Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I, I'd I mean, be curious. They, they are, get them on the phone somehow. They, they are absolutely <laughs> within their rights to ask Greg for uh, for a key to access, <laughs> and maybe they have already. I don't know. Um, I heard that Rare has what may literally, I'm not sure, be a barn on the property somewhere that has absurd amounts of old, like original <laughs> artwork and, I, and things, and, and like sort of old uh, things that probably should be in a, a museum somewhere. I, 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 that is. Technically correct. Uh, I think that story does grow the more people that hear about it. Um, and and just again set expectations. It's not some vacuum sealed um, futuristic thing where you go into an airtight thing and everything's chronologically right. cataloged, cataloged and cared for. We actually have it's a great big warehouse that has dust sheets over things like silicon graphics workstations that were used to do the. Rendering back on the or Donkey uh, Kong, back on the the, the Super Nintendo and um, cardboard standees for Killer Instinct and Battletoads, and I think there's a Joanna Dark kind of full 3D uh, model, and yeah. so yeah, the, like there's a ton of that stuff. We we have some of it in the studio, and if you've seen any pictures of the Rare Studio, you'll see standees and stuff. Like one of the things I was really keen to do when I joined Rare 
was just get that balance right of recognizing the heritage and making sure that we have a really strong future identity and and we know what we're about and what we're trying to do but recognizing where we've come from as well but you said yourself that you're a you're a tomorrow's over guy you're all about or rather uh, yesterday's over you're all about tomorrow i am but i know people in the team and fans of rare like that is important of course and and i think recognizing you can use um and nostalgia is the wrong word but you can use legacy or or heritage to fuel future like when we came up with players creating stories together, which was the kind of ethos that birthed Sea of Thieves, right. and, and you know, there's a lot of goodness into that. Like we we um, we actually, so we we did rare replay. We kicked off Sea of Thieves before we kicked off Sea of Thieves. We actually took a video camera around. This video exists. I don't think we've ever published it, um, and asked people what makes a rare game, hmm. and all like everything from. You know, games you can lose yourself, friendly games. Um, the one I thought was the most poignant answer was Ben Wilson, one of our, uh, he's our software architect on Sea of Thieves. And he says, rare games are games that reflect the people that make them. And I was like, hmm, okay. And, and I think that's true. Like if you think back to that Conquer team, you think back to that Banjo team. And, and again, these weren't my teams, but you know, some of them are still in the studio now. Like each rare games had an identity based on those people. That's why if you look back through Rare's history, there's just this huge eclectic mix of multiple genres, multiple games, yeah. different tones, like and stuff that I just don't think you'd get out of other studios. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Doom from 2016 strikes me as a game that fits that idea of, yeah. of nostalgia sort of inspiring yeah. without, without sort of overly relying on yeah, and, that and when, past. Yeah, and when I, um, when I went into the studio, there was, like, there was two old display cabinets that kind of had all this old merch stuff just stuffed in. And like, that's not how you recognize nostalgia. Like, and now we, we refurb the canteen, and there's a wall as you walk in now that's got some old IP stuff, it's got some new IP stuff, and it's just in this mix. There's some awards, there's some BAFTAs, there's different things, and it's just there that... When, when I'm doing the tour and we've got a new employee coming in, I'm like, hey, this is what you're joining. Like, this is what Rare's done. Yeah. Like, this is, this is why the bar's high. This is why we expect a lot of people. This is why, you know, this is why Sea of Thieves has got expectations around. So, uh, as we work our way towards Sea of Thieves, how was it working on Connect? I mean, w- was it frustrating at any point, either with the tech itself or with, with the public sort of, at one point, really kind of souring on it? Yeah, I like 
I think for all, for all, everything I've ever done, I've learned. Like, and like, if I if I ever stop learning, I'm gonna stop stop doing stuff. I'll just go walk around hills in the mountain <laughs> or something like that. But um, and I think Connect is like the ultimate kind of version of that. Like, if you think about just designing a game, building a game, throw a controller, you know what input is. You know, like if someone presses the button, they can, and you can play around with does that make them jump, shoot, yeah, whatever. But an input's an input, and Connect throws all that out the window because it's like hey not everyone throws the same way or kicks the same way like every, every single human being on the planet is going to do it differently so from that point of view the challenge was absolutely there and and I think there is something in Rare's DNA and I think you can see this in Sea of Thieves that when we're challenged when it's hard when we're trying to do something new and difficult that no one's done before I, I think Rare has this almost unsatiable need to go do it and prove people wrong and and do something different. And I think Connect definitely represented that. The the kind of perception of it is always a challenge. Like you want like I mean we kicked off the interview going, hey, what what's awesome is I read people telling stories in CFDs and that's what we designed to do. When you're trying to get a team to ship something that you guys care about and, and ultimately everyone cares about things they've put work into. Like, and then every time it's talked about, it tends to have a negative slant, whether that's from you guys as tastemakers going, hey, this Connect thing looks like it's, you know, like it's it's not going to work or, or whatever, or just the feedback in the comments. I think that's hard for a team to be working on something that they're putting passion in that they know not, like, it seems like not everyone wants. Yeah. Um, and what I'd always encourage them, like, I... I don't need to motivate my team on anything around Sea of Thieves. Like, like they, they, I think I told you earlier, like, you know, one of the designers dropped me a note going, oh, it's awesome we're doing post-launch contacts. I never want to stop working on this game because <laughs> I'm having so much fun. And I think, you know, in, when we were finalizing a lot of the Connect stuff, it's like, look, I know, like, a lot of the commentary and stuff out there, like, it's, it's bad, but ultimately there are people that love what you guys are doing. But they're not the kind of people that are going to go comment on a Eurogamer or an IGN or, like, that... That's not them, but they are the people that are going to rock up at Gamescom and tell you that, you know, again, their kids had a great time playing and their family all got together and like their granddad played a video game with them for the first time. And that's, that's cool. Like, we love or hate connect like that as an emotional statement. It's cool. Um, so I, I guess I don't think Rare got credit for the cool stuff it did on Connect, like the Champion Creator stuff we did for um, Rivals, like you could stand in front of it and it made a version of you, like crazy clever stuff, like, like, and, like we don't, like you get credit sometimes and sometimes you don't, so, so I think for the challenge point of view, and the other thing is like, it it was Rare's franchise, like Connect Sports was Rare's, like it was the biggest, most successful IP Rare has ever launched. Like that franchise probably hit and I can't remember the exact number, like nine or ten million units by the end of it. Yeah. Like that's 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 huge. That's a juggernaut. Like it was one of the biggest franchises in Xbox. Yeah, you'll take that. Like <laughs> and and that comes down to like, you know, the team did a great job executing that game. And again, people think it was like a bundle, or, oh the only reason Connect Sports sold is because they gave it away. They didn't. It was a full price game. Yeah. Like, so so it was hard. Like I hate people saying bad things about what we're working on because I care about my team and um, but you know you just gotta you just gotta make make games sometimes. So uh, and we come to rare replay. Yeah, 
you have the 30th anniversary circled on the calendar for, for quite a while, I'm sure. So uh, how long was were you guys cooking up Rare Replay? If, if I was way more organized, we would absolutely have Rare Replay. We would have had the 30th anniversary on a calendar with enough time. <laughs> what we actually did is went, oh, shit, it's like our 30th anniversary. What, what are we going to do? And we, we had a few, um, and again, sort of interesting moment in time. Kind of knew we were going to do a new IP at that point. So Sea of Thieves, it wasn't Sea of Thieves then, wasn't Pirates. Okay. That that was like we we were exploring this player shared narrative, players creating stories like thing. And um Connectors Rivals of Ship, we knew we weren't doing any post launch support for that. And we went, Okay, we need to go figure out the new IP. Thirtieth anniversary's coming up. Very much what are we gonna do to celebrate that? And we do we do a documentary? Do we do a, like first suggestion, typical game developer? Hey, we should just have a party. We should go invite everybody. Okay, that's nice and it's fun and all that stuff. Should we do a documentary? Do we go, um, you know, talk about like favorite game? Do we do a favorite games moment? Do we do something with you guys and other people in the press, like get them to celebrate Rare in some weird birthday party? What was your favorite Rare game kind yeah. of way? And we rocked around all these ideas. And then um, I was actually at a QBR in Redmond, a uh, quarterly business review that they do from time to time where different groups come in and show what they're working on. And um, very, very early on showed a version of Perfect Dark running in a backward compatibility mode before it was called backward compatibility. Right. And and didn't, didn't think about, it, like, remember the email six months before that going, hey, Craig, can we use Perfect Dark to um, try this back compatibility stuff we're playing yeah. around with. Like Phil's asked us to go do some, do some, yeah, of course, like go whatever. And uh, and they showed it working, and and didn't really think about it and seeded in, and um, and then we were brainstorming this idea about like oh like is there a world where we can do, um, like give people access to these games? And I was like oh, I've seen this back compatibility demo. I wonder if we could just like sort of get everything back together and then it's like well if you do that you could you could technically go and emulate all the old games and just stupid game developers me included in a room just going like oh we and we could do this and like you know didn't didn't some guy get like a um spectrum emulator running on a phone like so <laughs> so that must be a thing like we could go do that and then and it's like well, what if we could do like a multi-generational compilation it's like no, no no one's ever done that that's like because you normally like most compilations are normally Platform, right? All one thing, yeah. yeah. So, and back to that kind of rare thing. Like, no one's going to go do that. Okay, are you saying we can't do it, or are you saying we shouldn't <laughs> do it? Um, yeah, but like, but then you miss out all the three hundred and sixty stuff. Well, funny you should mention that because I've seen this demo, and I think there's a thing <laughs> coming that could maybe solve that. So, if we get the three hundred and sixty stuff, what do we need to do? So, we actually brainstormed it out, and and Rare's done a hundred. I get these numbers wrong because I'm not doing Rare Replay Press anymore, but something like 190 games during its 32-year-now history. And when you take out all the licensed stuff, because they did the yeah, Sesame okay. Street game and loads of other stuff, it, it's actually it's like 109 or something like that, I think it's a number. And then we kind of went through this, like, okay, how do you... How do you pick what are the right ones? Because not everything Rare made is awesome. Sure, it's, like, of course. You know. like, we're not 100% uh, track <laughs> record. everything in there. That, that's it. And, um, and we come up with, quite early on in the pitch, like, oh, what if we could do like 30 games for 30 years? 
and then we got the marketing guys on board around like 30 bucks like that was the 30 for 30 for in, in the first pitch i remember it and um so we kind of got ourselves excited and then it was like okay but we the 30th anniversary is like i think it was eight months away at that point and we were in whiteboard stage <laughs> so it's like okay like what does it look like to put this team together to get so we pulled a few people in the circle got a bit bigger here's what we want to do like here's what we're going to do found the back compatibility team out that wasn't even called back compat then like oh can we partner with you guys on this we want to do this rare heritage collection and you guys are six of the games so that's why they were the first kind of it might have been six five well, however many it was the yeah. first games that were done so we yeah, partnered Cameo and PDZ yeah partnered with them on that got all the other stuff working like and just just ran and ran and ran and probably not long after that, I got super convicted and chatted, chatting to my leadership team about it. Like, when we announced what Rare's doing next, like, I think if we go out and announce Rare Replay, everyone will just go, oh, Rare's, like, hasn't got any imaginations, not doing anything new. And if we go out and announce something new, it'll be like, oh, Rare's just, like, forget about its past and <laughs> doesn't care. So I got, like, super just energized around the, like, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we could go, here's Rare Replay, and here's everything you love about Rare. And we, we like the documentary thing we killed, we actually got that back in in Rare Replay. Let's invite all the creators back, talk about the games, put it behind unlocks in, in there. I'd encourage anyone that wants to know anything about the industry, go watch those videos on Rare Replay. They're awesome. Like I, I learned more about Rare <laughs> watching them than I knew. And, but we got really, really excited about, like, hey, if we can announce 30 years of Rare and the Heritage... And then we can go, and here's the brand new IP from Rare as a one-two punch at E3 2015. That's awesome. And um, I think uh, Emma, who runs our community team, sums it up really well. She said, from the moment we did that, her life and perception of what it meant to run the community team at Rare changed. Because <laughs> uh, it was just like a, oh, like I think we did a really good job of just like reuniting all the fans and people that cared about Rare and got everyone excited about this pirate game, which at that point was one level in engine that had no online bits and was a pirate. Remember them running down the beach with a pirate ship at the end? Oh, yeah. Uh, like that very, very first reveal, um, which may, may have been too early in hindsight, but whatever. But I, I actually think that, you know, rare history, rare future, such a powerful message. And so I, it worked for you in hindsight. You feel good about that? I, I feel awesome. Like even thinking about it now gives me goosebumps because it was just such a... I, I think just such a great moment for Rare, uh, and I was just so proud to just be the person that could go and just tell that story and, and do that. So, uh, you, Rare's been a pretty secretive company in the past, by mm-hmm. and large, but uh, with Sea of Thieves, it's been very open, both uh, in terms of you know, you've let media into the studio, which yep. was not always a thing that happened. And obviously, you know, yeah, they were under NDA, but these technical alphas and constant community blog updates. So, uh, why the why the switch to <laughs> yeah, you, you know are crazy to sort um, of opening opening the the doors a little bit? Yeah, I yeah, it, it's it's a great and and it's the reason I pause is it, it's a multifaceted question. <laughs> um, I think when we said we're going to go build a new like. Just think of the legacy of the statement of like building the next game from Rare, the next new IP from Rare, and that's just something that okay, what what is that? What's it going to be? And and I think I've told like I won't repeat the players creating stories together and why we got inspired by that and pirates came later and all this stuff. But 
we kind of said, like, what does it mean to make a new IP in this generation? Like, and you you guys have talked about it before. I think like the IP is hard. It's you know you've got to have a strong vision. My view of making games this is not not speaking for Rare or Microsoft or whatever, but like you either go make something that's better than everyone else. So you say, hey, we're going to go make something like this, and we're going to go do it better, bigger, whatever. Or you go make something different and try and carve out your own space for something. Um, I think Rare do things different. Like I think that's in our DNA. I think it's in who we are. And we said, okay, what's the next new IP from Rare? And then really you then start to break down, well, what does it mean to have a new IP? Like it means come up with something unique, be really clear on what the vision is, talk about it in a in a way that will get people excited. And we knew, like we see that not work more times than it works. And part of getting people in early was like, hey, like can we can we get people in as we're going through this process? And can we and we talk again, talked about everything from Hey, do we just put cameras everywhere up in the studio? Do we just like do, like everything from just document the whole thing? Like, and the reason we didn't do that is because people start acting weird when you bring a camera into a meeting room. But <laughs> um, like really weird. But the the point being, it was kind of like, hey, can we can we put community first? And I know a lot of teams say they put community first, but like, can we invite people into the studio? Can we can the very first people that play Sea of Thieves be rare fans? And then can we go build a community around that? Can we grow that community? Can we you know, build the game with them? And we talked about everything from, like, and it's always like, how do you NDA it? How do you make sure nothing's like, all these traditional things that keep sure. us worried about stuff like that uh, is all there. And you've just kind of got to have conviction. And, and so we felt, we felt they were both intrinsically linked. Like, if we're going to build a new IP, let's build it in a new way. Let's build it with a community that try and understand what we're doing and our vision and they can help us and they can keep us true if we're not being open and transparent. And then where we are now, fast forward three years, like our insider numbers were like 450,000 people. Wow. So this silly insider program we started, it's <laughs> like, hey, sign, sign up to learn more about Sea of Thieves, which, again, we were so naive back then, is, is now a set of people that we communicate with super regularly. There's active forums, there's loads of discussion. And... Honestly, now they, and certainly the people that have been with us along the journey, probably know as much about Sea of Thieves as we do. It sounds um, like your community manager should be, or managers should be asking for a raise. This we, is what it sounds like. What, what they've had is a raise in team. So uh, <laughs> there, were, there was two of them when we started, and we now have 10 people in that team. Wow. And that's just on community, and then we actually have bolstered our, like, you know, as a studio, we have a a business operations team and a CRM team that write all those emails, like you're on the insider program, like those emails, how Mm -hmm. often they get sent, what the redemption rate is on them, how do we know how many people are going to come in, how many people actually show up, what frequency do they show up, how many are in each region, like all this stuff a game studio wouldn't have worried about (laughs) 10 years ago, like this is just the new world we're in. So when did, with Sea of Thieves, when did you know that you had something special? You know, I remember you guys released... Gosh, it's probably over a year ago at this point, but uh, a, a video from a long time ago yep. of uh, Kudo and Phil playing like a skeletal frame yep. of the game. That was our early prototype. Yep. So, uh, yeah, at what point in the development process do you know that you, or do you believe that you have something special with Sea of Thieves? Yeah, so the, the pitch around players creating stories together, and can we, before it was Pirates, 
can we create a game where the soft skills between players and them going on adventures together that will play out differently depending on who they play with and who they meet is something that just got us excited. Like, for, like we're not even pirates at this point. We're just like, okay, that's cool. Like, there's not there are multiplayer games, but not really multiplayer games mm-hmm. that work like this. So imagine if you literally could watch someone playing Sea of Thieves and you wouldn't know what was going to happen, and the way they play literally would and designers and developers throw around like imagine it, it was just different every single time you play. every single time you play it's a different adventure and you can get excited about that as a promise um and then we did the whole theme so i said i wouldn't tell the story and i'm going to tell it but <laughs> then we did the whole like okay if that's the thing how do we get a small group of players to cooperate together give them share go we had all these different themes vampires dinosaurs you name it everything i'm glad we didn't do dinosaurs now arc came along but <laughs> there was a vampire <laughs> just theme just imagine everything of because at this point you just go, you're going broad you're brainstorming yeah of course so you go in here's here's our creative vision which which we were like we think this is different to anything else anyone that's out there like this is like no one no one is doing this creative thing what's the right theme rapper um, so we definitely had a moment where pirates were was the ah like everyone knows what a pirate is put people on ships fairly shared goal um, like we don't need to over explain it the sense of a crew is kind of like a loose bonding thing like so so it was a lot that makes sense so that was definitely the aha moment in the co- it wasn't vampires thankfully um, that was the aha moment in yeah. the concept which is like okay that's probably the right rapper and we shared that with a couple of couple of the exec team um, I don't think we showed Phil at that point yeah there's a whole story about how we showed the game to Phil which is maybe an hour in itself because um, I showed some of his other senior people so they knew that there was something cool at Rare, but he couldn't see it until he came over to the studio. So we, <laughs> we, we sort of did this whole treasure hunt thing. But so, so once we locked on that, really small team, about 20 people, what we tend to do at Rare is, is when we incubate stuff, and we're incubating stuff all the time, like we, we try and just fail fast and build stuff and get features in. So we had this really crude Unity prototype we used that just like we were just chucking stuff in. And yeah. we knew... So we got the ship working, we got some water working, um, and we we kind of said we can build something that we know will be fun with friends because generally most things are fun with your friends, whatever you do, even if the <coughs> mechanics and stuff aren't there. Can we build something that's fun with like strangers and something that's fun if you're not just friends? And and um, and then the other thing, like once we decided it was pirates and we started playing around with votes, is like can it just be fun to sail in the world like mm-hmm. kind of, like because again as you said it like you could perceive like oh just sailing in a world that's boring because games are designed to just throw stuff at you and if there's no stuff surely that's boring <laughs> i would contest to that from everything we've seen on sea of these actually sailing the world is just awesome um but when we first had us playing in this really like ropey looking Roughly the same scale. I could show you that video now, and there there are things that are still prevalent to this day in terms of scale and mechanics and stuff. But we had fun playing it, and then we we actually uh, and Greg's the the kind of master of this stuff. We actually did a lot of like paper prototyping and things around it. So imagine you went to an island and there was a riddle. So you'd do the sailing bit in the engine, yeah. and then Greg would literally have a load of post-it notes, <laughs> cool. and he'd go like, "Oh, here's the riddle, and here's what you'd have," and we'd sort of role play it a little bit. So. We're even testing the game experience out before we've even built stuff. 
So re really like love this sort of creative process. And then once we got people playing it, we knew we had something fun. I think it was actually that Phil Kudo senior team playtest where we filmed them and we didn't tell them we were filming them. So we put <laughs> webcams across all the things, invited them into the barn, <clears throat> got them to play and hadn't played the game before, didn't have any instructions, um, didn't tell them we were filming them. We pitched them the, hey, it's pirates, it's shared players, they're going on these adventures together. We'd shown them an unreal diorama that we'd built of mm -hmm. like a single island, which is still in the game now, it's like a resource island. Little, you know, little bit of uh, sand, palm tree, looks a bit different now, but um, here's, what, here's what this is going to look like. Some water tech, but only in a really small... Like a bathtub, yeah, <laughs> just just kind of around the island, so yeah. fix, fixed camera, so it wasn't going off for miles and miles like it is now. So imagine you're going to go into this pirate world, and it's going to look like this. Okay, right. So now we'll go over to the barn, and we'll go and play it, and and they just they they had a blast playing it. And the reason I think that was such a pivotal moment is they weren't us. Like so, we'd had fun playing it, and this isn't because like, hey, it's Phil and it's Kudo, and like if they bless it, it's awesome. Like, but we, if they don't, he he could just cancel it in two seconds, couldn't he? Yeah, I, and that's <laughs> not really Phil's mo in terms no, of what he does. But but yeah, of course you want your leadership team yeah. built into it, and like I felt confident because next new game from Rare, like online, like a lot of the things we were pushing on, I think were important not only to us but to to the business as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Xbox Live, backend, making friends, social gaming, like all, all that stuff's like, hey, it's important to me. I know it's important to Phil. Like that, that's just, you know, it's good stuff. Like it's hard to argue that's good. Um, but when they played it and they had such a great time and then we actually went back and edited that video together and they're all laughing and, and, and it's just like, okay, like this is, and, and like we weren't even talking about watchable games or the rise of Twitch or anything like that there. This was just like, Okay, they had they just had a blast playing it, and we didn't. We honestly had no idea what was going to happen in that play session. Was it, that was it very uplifting when you showed that video to the team? Yeah, well, we 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 actually cut it together, so it was like a forty-five minute play session with yeah. virtually like very few features in the game, which again makes you think you're on something because if time disappears and people are having fun and there's not many features in. You, you know, and what's proven throughout Sea of Thieves, the more things we add, the more fun people have. Hmm. Like, so we had fun <clears throat> really early on, which, again, I've been in game development a long time. That's not true of everything you make. A lot of stuff doesn't really come together till the end. Um, but we cut that 45-minute video into five minutes of, like, here, here was their narrative. Here's, they won an adventure. Phil and Kudo fell out. Kudo found his own ship. <laughs> Kudo brought back, they had the ship battle, Kudo sunk Phil, Kudo won, they found some treasure, they all had adventures and fun all on the way. And that was the first shared story from Sea of Thieves. And when we sat and looked at that, and we were just like, this, this is cool. And fast forward again, three years, kind of the same thing happened when we took the NDA off the, off the beer. A lot of people played the game, and I, I had you guys on Unlocked, just like, oh, this is what happened in my story, this is what happened in my story. Like, and that, that was the vision, so just... Like, we've seen it three or four months into the project, and we're still seeing it now. And that's, that's, that's the special bit. So what happens to Rare if Sea of Thieves succeeds? 
If it, if it <laughs> whatever your you know when, success, when see if thieves succeeds when when it <laughs> succeeds but, you know whatever your metric is or what what yeah. is what happens to rare in, in a in a moment in a in a success scenario same same thing that happens to rare now we still make games we still do what we do that's a good um, answer I'm I'm curious yeah I I mean the conversation like we don't know what post launch Sea of Thieves means like right right now as you and I sit here now we haven't launched. Um, so, but you have a plan. You have a roadmap. Of course, of yeah. course. And you know, we will, we will, like, there's more stuff we want to add to Sea of Thieves. We definitely want to be reactive to, like, hey, if we get some balancing wrong or there's some bug, like, every single person I've talked to that launched a service-based game tells me, hey, you think you know what you've got to do? <laughs> Actually, when you launch, there'll be a load of different stuff. So I'm, I'm not naive to the, like, there'll be a load of stuff we won't even think about. That we'll probably have to go do and put people. Yeah, this on. this interview is airing uh, the day of launch. By right. The way. So okay. It's all happening right now. Yeah. So um, so when we're psychic and we've predicted the future, <laughs> um, so you know, we, like you know, and Joe and, and the team and I, you know, we've said like let's make sure we're really reactive and we're we're kind of on it day one. If the stuff we've got to address, we'll go address. And of course, there's post launch plans we've got, um, but really, like, it's really about sea of sea of thieves will be its own thing and hopefully it'll be its own very successful thing and the conversation i'm having with joe now is really like okay what does that what does that post-launch org look like because you can almost think of sea of thieves kind of like as a mini studio you know joe runs that team he has his own leadership team like we ultimately want sea of thieves and joe and the team will be tasked with making sea of thieves as big and successful as it can be and and that's great like and the bigger we can make sea of thieves the more opportunity it brings for rare um in the future like and i I, people always talk about things as like succeed or fail and i I think it's way more nuanced than that like there will be people playing like there will be people that love sea of thieves there'll be people that play sea of thieves a ton there'll be people that sea of thieves will be their favorite game and that's awesome for us but there's also people that will continue to come in to sea of thieves a year from now two years from now three years from now um and and that's the way we think about it. Like, you know, I say, hey, we've invested three years of our lives and hearts and souls into making Sea of Thieves. But if, if it's people are playing it in five years or ten years and it's a very different shaped game, that's, that's awesome for us as well. All right, well, then instead of asking you the, the obvious devil's advocate follow-up of what happens to Rare if Sea of Thieves fails, I will ask you instead, what does Rare's output look like in five? What does Rare look like in five years then? Yeah, I, I'd lo- I would love to have the answer to that question. <laughs> um, it make my planning meetings really easy. Um, I like I want Rare to do more. Like I always want Rare to do more. That's 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 kind of been my mo since I've come into the studio. Um, so like yeah, it'd be great if we can have Sea of Thieves as a long running successful service franchise. And then like I say, we're always looking at stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, right now it's all Sea of Thieves. Tomorrow, who knows? So, there are, are there other teams at Rare working on <laughs> things that aren't Sea of Thieves? Sea, sea of Thieves is our complete <laughs> and utter focus right now. And, uh, uh, but, but I mean, on that topic though, you've made a lot of comments over the years about you know because of course you get of course you get asked and they always about get me in trouble. Rare's I th- IPs. I think but you guys got me in trouble. Well, we may have. It's our job <laughs> uh, sometimes. Uh, you've said that going back to the, the Rare I, old Rare IPs would be. The worst thing you could do... I, that was taken out of context. Okay. I should fair, correct that. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, that re- but you've also said that, okay, well, revivals would require new gameplay, which yep. is fair. You know, you don't want to just rehash the same thing. 
So what, you know, and you've, you've also said in this interview that, that you're a tomorrow is your focus kind Absolutely. of guy and, and yep. not yesterday. But so what is the future of Rare's beloved IPs then? Yeah, I, like two, two things for me. One, you've always got to let a team and help a team go make something they're passionate about. Like, so I think, I think when that context, when that statement was taken out of context, which was in a 20-minute conversation around yeah. why you do stuff, why you do IP. Like, I didn't start out on the start of Sea of Thieves and go, hey, Greg, Joe, Ryan, go make a pirate game that will be number one on Twitch and Mixer in three years' time that will have people shooting themselves out of cannons. And, like, it doesn't work that way. And I think that would be the same as me going, hey, team, go do Battletoads. Or go do, like, just to pick an example. Yeah. Like, and that can happen, and that does, and I'm sure talented developers, they go, yep, okay, boss, like, we'll, we'll go do the thing you told us to do because, hey, it'll be review time next year and we want to sit in front of you and go, hey, we did what we told, like, that, that's not the culture of it. That's not what we. That's not the way I run the studio. It's not what we believe in. So for me, like you've got, like if you've got a team that are passionate about what they're building and why they're building it and what's new. So we have a very, you know, sea of these as I've talked about. Like it was, it was you know what Greg and Joe and that core team of 15, 20 people were super passionate about, and it, it was really up to them to kind of show that what it what like. I will I will back something that's new, different. People say can't be done every single day of the week. Like it's it's just in my nature. Like if you said to me now, "Hey, Greg, you can't go and do this." Like fifty percent of my brain would go like, I, "I can," even if it's something that doesn't make sense. Like I'll go find a way. It's just it's the way I'm wired. Yeah. And and for rare, like I want the team to be really passionate about something they want to do, and they they've got to like believe it and wake up every day wanting to do this thing and. That's what, in my belief, I think gets you great games. So if Greg Malis comes to you in two years from now, Sea of Thieves is, uh, is, is uh, you know, sailing on its own. It's on yep. literal cruise control. Uh, it's, and he says, you know what, Craig, I've, got, I've just got this great pitch for how to bring Banjo back. And I've got ten people here that, are, that have helped me, you know, flesh this out. Can we do this? And you're and you're you're into that kind of thing. I think it's just got to be. It's got and and again, like I think what we've got to avoid here, especially in the Sea of Thieves, awesome press stuff we're doing <laughs> at the moment, is is a load of banjo headlines. But it it it's got to have it's got to have a it's got to have a why to it. Yeah, is the best way I can say it. Which is like the why like the why for Sea of Thieves was hey, we think we can go do something else with multiplayer and players creating stories and social interaction that's never been done before. Like, and that, like, if I think about what Rare is, and I think about what, you know, there's a lot of talk about just innovation in our industry and, like, and the 100 and, you know, 150, 180 people I have in my studio, like, it's important to me, and I think, you know, from my conversation with Phil, it's important to Xbox, that they're going to go do something that's, that's meaningful, that's awesome, that's incredible. And it's not... It's not about just doing something incremental. Like, rare, like my team is super talented. Like, I could go ask them to make any game in any genre, and they would do a good job, and it would be a good game. But that's 
different to what we're doing with Sea of Thieves. So to answer that question explicitly, like it would have to have a why yeah. that that was like was one of those things where if someone told it told you it, you went, oh, like that would be that would be like I and almost to the point of it feels uncomfortable. Like, could we even do that? Like, is <laughs> could you make a game where people just like the way they interact? Like, that is the game. Like, and it would need something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean to. I'm not trying to uh, to to get you. You know, I'm not trying to make a gotcha headline on this, but yeah. you realize I've got the studio head of Rare here. Mm. I, 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 I would be forced to walk the plank <laughs> of the community if I, but, if I don't ask these questions. But, but the funny thing with that, <laughs> with, with that quote, which I think you guys ran, was like it was in the context of a very similar conversation on a podcast, where the point I was trying to make is me going and telling people to make a remake is not the way I think you get a great game. Yeah. Like, because, and yes, you can do it, but does that mean you should yeah. do it? Uh, last question on this topic, and I okay. promise I will move no, on. No, no, that's good. But, but you know, is there so Sea of Thieves? It's you. You are willing it to success, but uh, in, really, you know, everybody's loving it so far, and it's yeah. it's out this week as as uh, this airs. Is there a scenario where you where where maybe some of the other rare IPs uh, are are handed out to other? Developers that that have a great a why pitch, you know that maybe if if Rare is busy, is there a scenario? I mean, we kind of saw that with Killer Instinct, I was, right? I, that was just going to be my my answer, and even maybe to a lesser degree, the um, the stuff the Project Spark guys did with Conquer, Conquer I thought yeah. was pretty cool. Um, so, like, who knows? And again, like, probably a little bit more. Like, yes, you need a why, but then you also need is that the right team, sure. right creativity. Um, like we we get pitches, like we get pitches in linear media, we get pitches in video game. Like Rare hat, like everything we've talked about. Rare has this thirty-two year back catalogue of heritage and IP, and 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 while I wouldn't say we were, you know, Disney or even you know Nintendo or Sega or any of the other kind of long-term IP stalwarts in our, in our business, like people ask us to use stuff. Uh, did you see the Battletoads in Ready Player One? Did you see uh, this? Yes. The- uh, it, it horrified. Uh, we have, you, you know from watching Unlocked, Marty Sleva, he's not, he is, he's, let's just say, not the most passionate Battletoads fan. Absolutely. On the so you, we were, all, him, we were right. all giving him some, some grief over that. But, but what was awesome about that is, A, Ready Player One is an incredible, incredible thing. Like, I love the book. I listened to the audio book, which I think Will Wheaton uh, uh, sort of narrated. And, um, but, like, when they said, like, Hey, Ready Player One, we want to celebrate culture and gaming icons and all that kind of stuff. And, like, hey, could we put some rare IP in there? Like, that's just like a hell yeah. Like, that's cool. And, and, and they're, they're awesome conversations. Like, but if that's the awesome conversation, and I'm not going to talk about details, but you can imagine what the non awesome conversations are. <laughs> like, someone going, hey, can I go do X? Like, and it's like, nah. Nah. <laughs> like, and, and, it's not, you know, if if I was an independent studio, maybe there'd be some licenses that I'd want to go and inquire about and stuff. So it's not, it's absolutely not out of the realms of possibility, but not only does the why have to be right, but the team and the people oh, yeah. and, and who have to be right. So <laughs> Makes sense. That's, like, we, and, and there's a lot of, myth, like, Rare is the guardians of Rare's IP. Like, and I feel super proud of what we did with Rare Replay, and I feel exceptionally proud of what we're doing with Sea of Thieves and but they're kind of our IP and yes I know people want to like people don't want to see them come back badly 
Of course. So, so that's like number one job. <laughs> uh, and then, like, who knows what the future holds? So, uh, Sea of Thieves is the first major Xbox first party release out the door in 2018. Uh, in what should be a pretty big year for, for Xbox, for first party. There's a Hopefully. lot of big yeah, stuff yeah. on tap. So which of those other first party games are you most looking forward to personally? Oh, uh, I wasn't expecting that question. I was just expecting questions on my own yeah. stuff. Um, Even in the family, that's what yeah. you know, you're... Because you're, I mean, it's important. I mean, it's the, the, the state of, the, of first party on Xbox has been a hot topic. It but, has. Yeah, but, and, this, and this is, you know, you guys are... This is what people have been, what Xbox fans have been waiting for yep. is, you know, this is a, a, a new IP, a big new IP, and it's rare uh, on, on top of it all. But, you know, you've got State of Decay 2, you've got Crackdown, uh, you've got some other things, you know, Ori. Yeah, and I was Whips just going to mention Ori. And so, yeah, what's, what's on uh, Craig Duncan's and, radar? And you know my brain goes through this, like, filter whenever someone asks a question like this of, like, going, okay... We've announced, but like, like, <laughs> so just so again, I don't get myself into trouble. Um, I mean, Ori is a, like a wonderful game, like and a beautiful game, and like I, I drop Shannon a note every now and then to just see some concept art and stuff of it because yeah. it, it, it is, it is eye-wateringly beautiful. Moon Studios, like, and it, and again, like they, they yeah. Would you call them a boutique studio? I guess you would, really. Like, they're just... They're, they well, they're, are, they're small by modern standards. Yeah, really, like, right? they, they... They're not 180 people. Yeah, that's that's it. And and I just think Ori was incredible. So I, I'm kind of super... In, just personally, how, how that's going to play out. I love yeah. all the ID stuff. I know it's not it's not the first-party stuff, but Charler and his team do uh, an incredible... Like, Cuphead was, like... I know you're a big fan, big but, time. like, just such a big fan of that. It's almost like a first-party IP, even though it's a, it's an ID. Um, Crackdown, obviously, like my old friends at Sumo, I I want that to do That's well. That's right. They're, I still they've feel... sort of uh, assumed the mantle on that. Yeah, like now. you know, and like I think anything, um, I don't know. Everyone in the industry is like this, and RIP Midway, it's not there anymore. But you know, I want to see Codemasters and Sumo and teams that, or even people that have worked for me before that now are doing their own things or working in different studios. I think that tends to be the view you take when you work in the industry. It doesn't just tend to be cracked down. It's like, oh, like my friends yeah, are working makes on sense. that. So I, I kind of like, I, yeah, I, the stuff I played was last time I played it was really cool. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm interested in that. Ori, uh, State of Decay, I liked the first one. Like, I, uh, I've not really played, um, played the sequel, so. I'd, I'd love to, um, kind of Matt and I were chatting about, like, I'd love to get time to play more first-party stuff. But just again, sneak it when you're up in those uh, quarterly business reviews, just, just uh, get some time up yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, the problem is when you get, like, unless it's Pirates, Rare, like, and I, I literally have no idea what's happening in the world outside of my own project right now. Well, uh, I'm going to let you go, but before I do, Craig, I'm curious... What do you want the Craig Duncan era at, at, at Rare? Well, long may it last, by the way. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want that era to be known for when it's all said and done? Whether that's you know, in five years from now, in 20 years from now, whatever it is. I, it's such a hard question because it's, it's, it's not my era of Rare. Like, there's a lot of, like, Rare's where it is because a lot of people are super talented and they work really hard and they make the culture what it is and they bring the ideas that result in something like Sea of Thieves and the execution that results in that. Like my if and this is an internal kind of thing, if if the only thing people talk about rare is like 
hey, when Craig was in charge, it seemed they did lots of creative things and the team that was there got to go do some stuff that was really unique in the industry. Like, I kind of think that's what my job is. Like, I think that's what my job as a studio head. Like, it's not, I'm not a, an author that's going to come up with, like, the next big game idea that I say, hey, this is, you know, Craig Duncan presents whatever. Like, that's, that's not, like, of course, I, I have creative contribution in what we do and stuff. But my job is to basically make sure the studio has the right culture that all of the brilliant people, and there, there are so many brilliant people in my team, can do the best work they can. And if that's the output of my time running the studio, then I'll, I'll kind of, like, I think, I think we're building something at Rare. And I think we, like, seven years in the job, the naivety that took the job, I was like, yeah, yeah it can be 18 months and this place will be like a machine. It will be awesome. And it, it takes time and it takes evolution. And, um, and Sea of Thieves, like, take, took a long time to make. Like, we were doing a lot of new stuff no one's ever done before. But for me, it's like, you know, that, like, we're building something really special and I want to see Sea of Thieves succeed and I want it to have a new life. And I want it to have a long life. And that's, that's the stuff that's important. But not for me. Like, it's, it's the team. Like, if I can cultivate the team, I'm good. All right. Well, Sea of Thieves is uh, launching now as you see this interview. So uh, let me be the first to congratulate you on launch here in, in the past as, uh, as, this, as this airs. But uh, Craig Duncan, studio head at Rare, they are, of course, uh, just launching Sea of Thieves as you see this, which, of course, you can pick up in any store as usual or... Game Pass. You can, yeah, absolutely. You we can just sign up for Game Pass. We didn't talk about Game Pass. Yeah, I'm sure, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that on Unlocked, which will yeah, have yeah. also already aired. Time's a weird timeline. Time is thing weird. Going, yeah, 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 chronology yeah. makes no sense. Thank but, you for inviting me, though. I, uh, it's great chatting. It was great to speak with you and learn more about your career. And it's you know, it's not every day that I get to sit down, sit down with somebody who didn't start in games. You yeah, know, you're not a lifelong. I saw. I found that perspective. Very, very fascinating. So, Craig, thank you so much. No, thank you. For more from the best, brightest, most fascinating minds in the games industry, be sure to look for new episodes of IGN Unfiltered each and every month, both on uh, IGN and IGN's YouTube page, uh, and also on any of your favorite podcast services as well. Attention, fans of fairy tales that are magical, hilarious, and grim. The award-winning Pinna original podcast Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest has new episodes out now. While you've probably heard of the brothers Grimm, you've never heard these tales told in quite this way. I'm Adam Gidwitz, best-selling and Newbery Honor author of Books for Children, and in Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, I share the real weird, grim fairy tales with real, weird, hilarious kids. In each episode, you not only get to hear a story, but you also get to enjoy this group guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and sharing their own perspectives on the tales. Also, heckling me. They love to heckle me. The episodes are rated on a scale from grim to grimmer to grimmest, so there's always a great variety of tales to explore with your family. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes.